Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule, we get it. With Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Offside Rule podcast and it comes with a few sniffles here and there, courtesy of myself because I've had a little bit of a cold and... Hayley McQueen, also known as Harry today. Harry McQueen, because I sound like a man. <laughs> but Kate Borsay is fine and dandy. I've just got a stinking... No, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> anyway, um, this is what's coming up on episode 18 of the podcast. We're going to talk about background staff and staff that have been instrumental at their clubs. We're also going to talk, after all the match-fixing muddy in the waters recently in the news, we're going to talk about bringing the beautiful game back into a good light. That will be our topic three, honesty in football. Um, we're also going to have a Bundesliga roundup from Kate Partridge. Our Twitter topic of the week is also spreading the love because it's all about nice guys and girls in football. We'll have some mentions there. Um, and a, a really good point here to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter to see those and take part in Twitter topic of the week. At Offside Rule Pod is the account. You can go to our website as well, which is offsiderulepodcast.com. Uh, but let's go into topic number one first of all. We've got 19, 20 league managers that have lost their jobs this season. Some have departed of their own accord, of course. But I want you to name, when it comes to the departures, one that you've strongly agreed with and one that you really didn't. And you need to justify your choices. As always, I go to my right for the first, first time to Hayley McQueen. I'm going to start with my manager, who I completely agreed with, and it's Paolo Di Canio. And this is because he was appointed back in March. I didn't agree with the appointment in the first place. Why? I just thought he was not the right man for that particular club. Some people may say that, on the contrary, he, they, he shouldn't have been gotten rid of because he was making lots of changes to the side. And I agree with the fact that you need to keep a manager who's made lots and lots of changes to kind of keep that going. And I like to see it from start to finish, like Manchester United are doing, I guess, with David Moyes right now, although he hasn't made many changes. But I think just the way that Paolo Di Canio was at the club, freezing out certain players, Phil Bardsley, he's known allegedly to be a bit of a a naughty boy sometimes and hasn't exactly pleased the manager with the -the off-the-field antics. But instead of disciplining him and treating him like an adult, he kind of trepped them as if he was the headmaster and the players were school children with the whole banning of tomato ketchup and certain drinks and things like that, which is fair enough. But he only lasted six months in the dugout. He won three of his 13 games. I just think he was too colourful for the side. And I think he just made too many changes. He just tried to overhaul a squad thinking that he was going to be given time, thinking that he was going to have a season or two to kind of make these huge changes. Instead of coming in a club and finding his feet and figuring out what was going on, he went in and completely overhauled the squad and just was completely unable to to gel them together and keep the peace and harmony. And I think that's what it's all about, keeping the new players happy, keeping the older players who have been at the club for a long time happy, and managing the squad. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, just didn't quite manage to do that at Sunderland. So that's the one that Hayley agrees with. I'm just going to let you have a breather there because I can tell that you're struggling, aren't you, with your sore throat. Uh, Kate, how about you? Uh, Kevin Blackwell. 
who uh, was uh, dispensed of his services at uh, Bury on the 14th of October. Tricky one for him, really, because there was a takeover uh, last year, last September, and he kind of managed to keep his way through that, but he failed to keep Bury in League One. The club struggled with financial problems uh, following the takeover. He made 23 signings in May of this year, you know, probably because he was forced to, but the players didn't gel. Did, did he sign too many players? Quite possibly so. So uh, left Bury with them sitting just a point above the relegation zone. And I think it was time, particularly when you're under new ownership as well. A manager either goes with you and goes the whole way, a la Sir Alex Ferguson, or your manager gets lost and you've got a board who doesn't completely believe in your manager and also a lot of the old hierarchy at the club. So he's gone. And one that I didn't agree with, I'm going to go to Gillingham's Martin Allen. Um, I really like Martin Allen. I've met him a fair few times. I think he's a great guy. And I thought his sacking, and not just because he's a nice guy, uh, but I thought his sacking was particularly unjust based on the fact that he had got Gillingham promoted uh, from League Two to League One at the end of last season, uh, given his uh, marching orders after 16 months in charge there. They won the League Two title in emphatic style, really, last season. And the club will say, well, he couldn't quite step it up to League One, but I, but I felt that he could. And I I also felt that it was very much his project. There was lots of stuff going on with youth there, lots of investment from him to try and make that a long-term association. I think he really wanted to make it work. And I think he was let go of far too soon. They only managed uh, to win two of 11 games. Uh, They were in 17th place at the time on nine points that he left the club. But, you know... (laughs) I think he should have been given a lot more time. He should have been given a chance to turn things around. And actually, there was a small sign of them turning things around when he was let go of. Paul Scally, the chairman there, decided that um, enough was enough. But I think that that was a shame. And I think he could have achieved something really quite solid with Gillingham. We'll get your other one in in just a moment, Hayley. Um, I've got a recent appointment uh, and a recent departure that I'm choosing as my one that I really agree with. Now, rather than it being a sacking, it's actually someone who left of their own accord. They left a club to go and pursue better things. And that man is a very recent man appointed to the Wigan job, Uwe Rosler, who left Brentford. Now, I absolutely agree with his choice to leave Brentford and go to a club like Wigan. And the reason being, look at what Wigan have done for Martinez. Dave Whelan, a great chairman and will really support Rosler in what he wants to achieve. I also, I was at the Millwall Wigan game at the weekend and you look at Wigan's squad and the base of players that they've got and they've got some really talented, talented footballers. So for Rosler to have that opportunity to go and work with the likes of those bring them together make them work and and escalate up the championship and potentially get into the top flight again which I think Wigan are capable of Um, he couldn't turn that opportunity down and although I think Brentford fans will be very sad that he's gone and how close they came last season to getting promoted but I think you have to give Rosler his opportunity and I think Juve Rosler will be a manager to watch for next season and the season after and I think we could see him playing his trade in the Premier League within a couple of seasons time whether that be with Wigan I think it probably will be um, but maybe even with somebody else so that's what I'm saying about Uwe Rosler as one that I agree with as a departure and my manager sacking that I really didn't approve of although I will say a little bit like the Southampton situation with Pochettino when he came in the new manager McLaren is doing very well but I'm going to go to Derby County because I thought that Nigel Clough's departure was harsh to say the least. Nigel Clough has left 
a brilliant spine of a squad and a youth setup for Steve McLaren to work with. Now, as much as I'm an admirer of Steve, Steve McLaren of late, I think since he's been abroad, been at FC Twente, come back, since the England manager's job, I think he's a lot more gracious now as a football manager and he understands what he needs to do and he doesn't take things for granted anymore and he's really working hard with those bunch of players and getting great rewards from them. But he's also been quick to really praise Nigel Clough for what he's left him and I really admired that in him too. But for me, the, Nigel Clough's sacking, I just thought it was so disappointing, really, from a club like Derby County to do that. And now maybe they just got a little bit restless too soon, but I think he was making great strides with Derby. And Derby aren't the sort of club that you're going to get promoted within one, two seasons. They needed that work from the bottom up. They hadn't got heaps of money to spend, but they've got people like Connor Salmon, who's doing so well, um, Will Hughes. He's, he's brought on so many players and... I really felt for Nigel Clough being being sacked from Derby and I really hope he does well with another championship club. I think he's a really good championship manager. I don't know whether he would actually cut it in the Premier League as a manager, but as a championship manager, I think championship clubs should, in this January transfer window, should any more depart, be looking at him for their services. Um, Hayley, your other one. Mine kind of links in with the topic of honesty, actually, with something that I didn't agree with. And it was Ian Holloway's own decision to step down, extremely honest in saying he just couldn't do it anymore. He didn't feel he was the best man for the job. How refreshing. But I don't think he should have stepped down. I'd have liked to have seen him continue. I think it's a real shame that he took it upon himself. I'd like the club to have said, no, you stuck with us, we'll stick with you. He admitted when he spoke to Sky Sports that... um, he shouldn't have overhauled as he did in the summer, a bit like De Canio at Sunderland, bringing in 18 new players. It was just all too much at once. He left by mutual consent. It was a very emotional departure. He said he was just exhausted, lacked the energy for a relegation dogfight, which is fair enough, big on him for just walking away and letting somebody else come in. But I think he used to have the character to be able to battle out a situation like that. And I'd like to have seen him see somebody, maybe get a bit of counselling, I don't know what, and just say, right, okay, I'm going to fight this battle. It's a battle of, you know, personal thing to make me fall back in love with football again and a battle to keep the club up. He actually won 14, drew 14 and lost 18 of his 46 games in charge. Not horrific. He'd had a wonderful season before, of course, and enjoyed all the joys And of course, you're promoted and it's all very exciting. But battling it out at the bottom of the Premier League, I can imagine, is a pretty tough task. Okay, Um, maybe this podcast is a task too much for you, is it? I think I'm okay. I'm strongly on on. (laughs) Okay. Um, Topic number two, Rene Moulinstein has gone from a number two to a number one and he's got off to a flying start with Fulham, hasn't he? Uh, Time to shine a light then on some background staff that clubs wouldn't be without. A couple of examples of background staff from any club in any English league that you think deserves some recognition. Now, I did open this out to you both to um, open it up to your Twitter followers. I'll start with my own ones and then pass round to the right because very quickly um, Thomas Davis got in touch with me to mention Hugh Jenkins the chairman at Swansea and he said in particular for his managerial appointments not only is he really supportive of the club and a good man at the top but his managerial appointments have been top class Um, and I think anybody who's watched Swansea over the last few seasons and the way that they've really taken to life in the Premier League couldn't really disagree with that so I think Hugh Jenkins was worthy of a mention courtesy of Thomas Davis who got in touch with me 
And Mark McCardle on Twitter also said John Park at Celtic. Not only did Mark get in touch to say him, he then backed it up. So John Park is the chief scout and he unearthed, apparently, Hooper, Wanyama and Fraser Forster. So three brilliant players. And I thought that was really worth a mention too. So those are my two, courtesy of followers on Twitter. Two of those players applying their trade in the Premier League now. Yes, so doing very well indeed. Uh, Hayley next. I'll give you my one in just a moment, but a couple again from Twitter. Gordon Guthrie at Derby County. Unbelievable servant to the club. That was from Tom Cleveley. I got so many. Helen Mitchell from SFC Ladies, who produces an excellent club programme, updated and printed on the day of the match. That was sent in by Julian Barker. John Jenkins, we've heard of this guy in the last week or two. MBE, 95 years old, Portsmouth Football Club for over 50 years, is now a boardroom steward. And the third one that came in, which was from Mark Wilson, which is the one I was going to mention. I'm pleased that somebody else did because it means that they obviously feel the same. Dave Parnaby from Middlesbrough deserves a mention and recognition. He's responsible for a lot of careers at a lot of levels. That is exactly right. He is the academy director at Middlesbrough Football Club. He's been there since the Ayrton Park days since the days when Brian Robson was in charge and he's still there now. He spent 22 years actually as a teacher coaching England at under 15 level as well before joining um, Middlesbrough and he actually managed non-league Gateshead as well. He's in charge of developing players from 9 to 21. This guy literally does everything and he's produced FA Cup youth finalists for a good few years in a row. They've beaten Manchester United and FA Youth Cup finals as well Um, in 2004. In fact, he did that, took them to the uh, Youth Cup final, he beat Aston Villa. Anyway, he's helped produce players like Stuart Downing, Lee Catamol, Andrew Davis, David Wheater, his son Stuart Parnaby. I could literally list you a list as long as my arm. Which is very, I've got really long arms. (laughs) And he is somebody at the club who's made sure that these young players are there, developed, and unfortunately a lot of them do go on to do much bigger, better things away from Middlesbrough. But for a time, they stay at the club, local lads, and it's just nice to see that the club have stuck with him, even though they've had about 20 million managers in between. Well, we'll leave Hayley and her lung limbs for a second. Um, Kate? So I put out a quick shout on Twitter, and one that came back uh, from uh, Colchester Rob, uh, nominating... Uh, someone at Colchester, surprise, surprise, Brian Owen. Uh, he says at Colchester United, over the years, he's been a player, a physio, um, a coach, a scout. He's now chief recruitment scout at the club. And you'll hear that fairly often. You know, although managers come and go, quite a bit of the time, backroom staff, you know, particularly those who have perhaps played at the club, whether they stay in, in a role as an ambassador or whether they still have some part to play in the coaching team you get a lot of that and it's in contrast really of course you know we've been talking this week about what's been going wrong at Manchester United David Moyes arrives at Manchester United and gets rid of all of the backroom staff there you know so it often happens but it's an interesting one really isn't it when when you've got a club as established as Manchester United and a new manager coming in and making a complete and utter change let me give you a similar one to Brian Owen at Colchester United um, and that's someone who's been with the club for years. In fact, Alan Curtis, so synonymous with Swansea City, we'll mention Swansea again after your elect, Lindsay, with Hugh Jenkins. He's known as the legend, Alan Curtis. He played with the club during three different spells, actually, but he's 
pretty much held nearly every footballing position off the field, from football in the community officer to youth team coach, first team caretaker manager, and he is a current first team coach at the club. What's great about him is he's seen Swansea through the highs and the lows, all the way down to the point when they had to apply for re-election to the Football League in 1975. Uh, during the 77-78 promotion winning season, he was actually playing then. He scored 32 league goals, which is a feat in itself. So he's been a real servant to the club and also to Wales as well, by the way. I should also mention he's given the club his wisdom and experience. And as I've mentioned earlier, he's um, occupied a fair few roles at Swansea. Thank you for those. And just to say, obviously, we can't mention everybody. We will have missed out some shining lights up and down the football leagues. So keep those coming into us at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and we'll get retweeting those and making sure that people see them. But um, thank you. I've enjoyed doing that one. And we're going to continue our loving of all people with good guys and girls in football. It was our Twitter Topic of the Week. Here's Sean. Twitter Topic of the Week. Hello all, Sean Thorne back again this week with Twitter Topic of the Week. Now, this week's edition, uh, it was inspired by a tweet from Amy Lawrence who said not only is it not possible to dislike Roberto Martinez, but it's getting pretty impossible not to admire the way he composes his teams. So we thought football's got its fair share of bad boys, so we thought we'd ask you guys, who were your Mr and Mrs nice guys and girls? Oh, how festive's that, eh? So Chris asked us whether we meant on-the-pitch nice guys, like Gary Lineker, with a grand total of zero bookings, or off-the-pitch nice guys, like Michael Essien or Dirk Cow. Well, we're not fussy, Chris, and you've given us three already, so cheers for that. Eleanor Goodhead's all also gone for Gary Lineker as well for not picking up a single card in 16 years as a professional. Lulu's gone for Theo Walcott because the one time he dived, he apologised for it, which is fair enough. So if you can't remember it, uh, the dive happened against Leeds in the FA Cup a couple of years ago. I'm not sure the Leeds fans were so accepting of his apology, mind. Uh, Chris Pugh said Laura Bassett always made time to speak to fans on and off the pitch. She visited youth games as well. Not a bad word. My choice for Mr Nice Guy? I reckon he's going to have to go to Derek McInnes because when he was manager at Bristol City... Uh, a coach full of fans broke down and McInnes had a whip round with the players and gave some of his own personal money to make sure that the Travelling City fans got home in one piece. I thought that was awesome. Now, remember, you can follow us at Offside Rule Pod. Keeps you all up to date with loads of football news and that. Now, if you're extra full of Christmas cheer, give us a like on Facebook as well. Facebook.com forward slash Offside Rule Pod. I'm Sean Thorne. I will see you all next week. Twitter Topic of the Week. Thanks very much for that, Sean. And now we move on to topic number three. And now match-fixing girls has been in the news somewhat this week. In fact, you'll have been reporting on it, Hayley, on Sky Sports News. Yeah, we have, sadly. It's never nice to report on things like that when you just want to be just focusing on all the positive things in in the game. But, of course, we bring you all the news and that is, unfortunately, what's making the news at the moment. Let's hope that there aren't too many more cases because it seems to be when one story comes out, it's kind of a snowball effect and it you know more and more and more is investigated so it's a real shame and i and when negative stories come out in football i i, re, I really hate it because sometimes it brings the game down it's usually when we're going into a tournament so thankfully that's not the case the well, the world cup isn't till the summer so hopefully it'll be all done and dusted by then but i thought let's turn the tables and let's bring the beautiful game back into a positive light so a couple of examples each if you don't mind of being too honest in football because that can happen sometimes who would like to 
to go first? I'm not sure that this is a good story, really, but it's definitely an example of being too honest. When I think honesty getting in the way of someone's career, honesty perhaps being too honest for their own good, I've got to think of Roy Keane and his departure from Manchester United back in 2005 when he basically went on the club's TV channel and slated, attacked uh, some of his fellow teammates. And of course, there is an unwritten rule, isn't there, in football? You must all stick together. You must never, ever slate one of your own. Uh, It didn't stop Roy Keane, though. He um, accused players like Rio Ferdinand, who were on a lot of money at that point, for not, uh, not raising their game, for not talking enough in the changing room. He uh, said that bad players were being rewarded for playing badly. Uh, the interview is infamous, and I'm sure that if you don't know much about it, you'll be able to find an incredible amount on the internet. The upshot of it was there wasn't enough character within the team. How dare he do this whilst he was still a player of Manchester United? Well, he did it, and he wasn't a player of Manchester United too long. In fact, he was the architect of his own destiny, wasn't he? Because I think even he agreed, and would do so now, that actually he had come to the end of his time there. So whether it was designed to give him enough of an excuse to depart the club or not, very honest. In fact, there's a story out this week, he's done another interview um, this week where he is very honest, again, too honest, about Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, a documentary on ITV that will have gone out tonight as we're recording this podcast but we'll be out if people mm-hmm. want to see it on iPlayer and things so very fresh in the mind there Roy Keane um, talking of Roy Keane um, someone else who Roy Keane was incredibly honest with well it's got quite a close association to someone here in the room as well because I've got a bit of a problem as well as Roy Keane having a problem with this person I've got a bit of a problem with this person for this reason only this person is Mick McCarthy <gasps> no you cannot choose Mick McCarthy as your for being too honest. For being too honest, and I'll tell you why. His oh yeah yeah yeah. Like I suppose he well, dub, dub, dub. when he was managing in the Premier League when Wolves were in the Premier League, Lindsay, many moons ago now, before they catapulted down the divisions uh, season yeah. after season. Oh, anyway, season. talk about knocking a girl while she's down. She is suffering from a cold, so I thought I'd, I'd add this to her list of woe today. Exactly. Mick McCarthy was too honest in his post-match assessment of his team when they were in the Premier League. That was a breath of fresh air. It was annoying. No, I loved it. I didn't because he'd do it time and time again and he would use the same lines. We don't have any excuses. We weren't good enough today. And it was said in the Mick McCarthy way. Now, I don't mind Mick, but he has a way of phrasing things that in those post-match interviews that he did just made me want to say to him, sort it out then, Mick. Do something about it. Don't just stand and lament about it on live TV. Um, Mick was doing something about it. He was doing his best and the club should have seen that. There was only a 5-1 defeat to West Brom, which meant that he was shown the door. I don't think the club liked his post-match analysis. And that is, I loved it. I, that, that is, Lindsay, part of the reason why he didn't stay at that club for a long time, because he was too honest. Do you agree, Hayley McQueen? Well, I, I don't agree with anything. <laughs> it's just everything's rubbish right now. It was an abysmal performance, really. I mean, it was so uninspiring. Hayley? We're used to that week in, week out with Mick McCarthy. One man we aren't used to hearing honesty from is Jose Mourinho. He normally bigs everything up, regardless of how problematic things are at his team. Unless it's Jose Mourinho being honest about his own ability as a manager, of course. Of course. So, no. After the Champions League game, up against Manchester United, Real Madrid, of course, the team he was managing at the time, a team that, at the time... 
Sir Alex Ferguson was about to depart from, where a role was about to become available as a manager of Manchester United with Mourinho, who for many years had had an eye on that particular job, decides instead of to stick up for his own team afterwards and praise them for a wonderful performance in the Champions League, basically said that the best side lost which was Manchester United. It was the shortest post-match interview I think he's ever done. It was the game which actually turned in Madrid's favour. There was that controversial sending off of, of Nani for United. Mourinho, he didn't even discuss the impact of that. Praised Manchester United for their performance with a startling declaration of Alex Ferguson's tactical superiority on the night. You were literally left flabbergasted that Mourinho was even doing this. And you just thought... It was a bit of a shame because his own team would be thinking, but hold on a minute, he's our manager, not Manchester United's manager yet. Didn't help him get the job though, did it? Because they overlooked him and David Moyes is now in charge and look what's happening there. (laughs) What about honest quotes in football? This was a very funny one. Again, it's not, these aren't the most positive stories, but they were just a bit out of the blue. We spoke on the last podcast about our World Cup eleven, We didn't know at the time whether we could be putting in Cristiano Ronaldo or Zlatan Ibrahimovic because Portugal had yet to play. Sweden, of course. But anyway, we know that Ibrahimovic will not be playing in a World Cup. And when asked afterwards about whether he would be, you know, what he would be doing in the summer, he just said, well, without me, there is nothing worth watching. No. So there you go. How honest is that? (laughs) Too honest. (laughs) A little bit arrogant, (laughs) as well as being honest, but probably slightly true. Um, I actually wanted to defend Mick even further. Oh, Oh, come on. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say that if we did as a topic for topic three, the most entertaining post-match quotes, Mick McCarthy would be up there in them. Well, what? The most entertaining post-match? What? You mean the most annoying, the most flat, the most self-critical? I'm working at Liverpool Football Club now, by the way. No, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to go down that route. I'm not going to go down that route. Um, like, um, I've got two to say. So, honesty in football, for me, can be summed up in the entire England team, apart from Ashley Young. So, I'm omitting Ashley Young. But for everyone else, we are too honest to dive. We'll go to that tournament in Brazil. We'll give it our best shot, whether we get out of the tough group that we're in with Costa Rica and Italy and all the likes of. Whether we will or not, I don't know. The one thing that I can guarantee we will do is we will play honestly and fair. And we won't dive like all the Spaniards and Brazilians tend to do from time to time. So, um, that's the one thing that I get very passionate about being an England fan. Um, apart from Ashley Young, of course, who can be prone to the odd dive, as we know, um, smelling the turf. But I do think that that's one thing that we should be really proud of at Honesty in Football. And like him or loathe him, John Terry is one of those people that really does fly that flag for, for being honest on the football field. Now, next up, we all know that Thierry Henry, Diego Maradona, they couldn't be honest when it came to a handball situation. Those goals stood. Well, Thierry Henry was honest in the end, but not during the match, Kate. I mean, the the game was over. It was done and dusted. It's easy to come out and say, well, actually, yes, afterwards. But... Maradona does that since, surely. I mean, no, no one, he can't deny it, can it? Because, you know, you've got post-match analysis. We can see. But who admits it during the game that it would affect the result? So in Serie A, Miroslav Closer um, scored off a corner kick with his hand and he gave Lazio a 1-0 lead over Napoli. This was back in September 2012. Now, as everyone's running around and celebrating this goal... He puts his hand in the air and he goes up to an official and says, actually, 
you should disallow that goal. I touched it with my hand. It was handball. And the video, I've got a video link that I'm going to send you, Kate, that you can then share with all of our listeners. Um, actually shows this. Honesty in Italian football, who'd have thought? <laughs> yes. I was about to, to give a very suspicious wink at someone about that story because it involves Italian teams. Well, this is good for us to shine an, an honest light on Italian football, see? There you are. Um, we have one more thing to do. We need to go over to Kate Partridge for a Bundesliga roundup um, and let's check in with Kate. The female take on football. Hi everyone. Well, match day 15 saw records broken at the top and the bottom of the Bundesliga. At the summit, the star is a finalist for the Ballon d'Or, uh, along with ever-presents Messi and Ronaldo, Frank Ribéry, who scored a brace in Bayern Munich's 7-0 annihilation of Werder Bremen. It was Bayern's biggest victory of the season and Bremen's biggest top-flight defeat. The indomitable treble winners also equaled their own club mark of 26 straight undefeated away matches and 40 overall to see unbeaten coach Pep Guardiola win 13 of his 15 games in charge. Phenomenal. So, can anyone stop them? Sammy Hooper's Bayer Leverkusen are having a bash. Summer signing, Xiong Min Son bagged his fifth goal in four encounters against Borussia Dortmund, capitalising on former Leverkusen defender Manuel Friedrich's first half clangor to give the visitors a 1-0 win. Both sides had a man sent off late on, but Dortmund couldn't level and are now 10 points off top spot. And Jurgen Klopp's posse are also ahead of München Gladbach, only on goal difference, after the other Borussia clinched their sixth straight victory 2-1 at home to Schalke. While at the other end, second bottom Nuremberg earned the unwanted record of going 15 matches without tasting victory after a 1-1 draw with Mainz to lie just a point above Eintracht Braunschweig who are on course for an immediate return to the second tier. Records though, who needs them? Trophies and survival are much better. The offside rule. We get it with Lindsay Hooper. Thank you very much for that, Kate. Well, that's all from us for episode 18 of the Offside Rule podcast, but we will be back next week, hopefully without colds Ooh. and... Si- is it sinusitis? Sinusitis. <laughs> sinusitis. Oh, horrible. Horrible. <laughs> Hope none of you listening are listening from your beds at home with mm. one of these awful wintry colds because it's just not nice. And in all truthfulness, seeing as we had an honesty uh, policy, Kate, how did you feel about this podcast? Um, I felt okay about it, despite the coughs and sputters. Hopefully we'll be able to edit them all out and hopefully the snot will have cleared by next week. I'm asking you this so that you ask it back to me. How do you feel about the podcast? I'm going to sign off by saying I've got beef with Kate Borsay about <laughs> Mick McCarthy. <laughs> bye, bye. Fight, fight, fight. The Offside Rule We Get It is a podcast produced by Heather Davies and Lindsay Hooper. 